Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Apostle Shirley Evans this morning, the 8th of September, 2020. The time is 9.44 a.m. We bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. And we are in the school of the Spirit. And if you listen clearly, you'll hear the bell ringing. It's time to go to school. The bell is ringing. The bell is ringing. It's time to go to school. And so some are in primary, some are in elementary, some are in primary, some are in, in junior high, some are in senior high, some are in college, and some of us are in the University of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you fit, He's speaking to us today. And so the bell is rung. And so I have a prophetic word from the Lord, which is the word of God is prophetic. And I have a prophetic songs that he has given me. I pray that all is well with each of you today. And I pray the peace of God that passes all understanding will continue to guard your heart and mind. And so here we go. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me melt me mold me fill me use me spirit of the living God fall fresh on me spirit of the living god fall fresh on me i say yes lord yes to your will and to your way I say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speak to me, with my whole heart I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul, yes, Lord, completely, yes, my soul, say yes. I love you, I love you, from the bottom of my heart 
to the depths of my soul. I love you. I really do. My soul say yes. My soul say yes. Only you are holy. Only you are wonderful. There is no one else like you who is faithful, ever true. All my love, my heart, my life is a testimony. Only you are holy. Only you are worthy. Only you are wonderful. There is no one else like you who is faithful ever true all my love my heart my life is a testimony ask the lord to purify your heart i'm asking him to purify my heart Purify my heart, let it be as gold, pure gold. Purify my heart, let it be as gold, pure gold. Refine as fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, dear Master. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, dear Master ready to do your will. I am ready to do your will today and every day, dear Master, as you purify my heart. So people of God, here we come this morning. We are in the school of the Holy Spirit. So the word today is the power of the Holy Spirit. I repeat, the power of the Holy Spirit. And each of one pro you probably have a car or a truck. It cannot work without the power. The engine have to be in place and the fuel have to be inside the car. 
other than that the car is parked it needs power and we need the power of the holy spirit so here we are today we are going to learn about the power of the holy spirit the holy spirit is the person who imparts to believers the power that belongs to god we are still in psalm 62 verse 11 it says god has spoken once twice have i heard this that power belongeth unto god the Holy Spirit's work in believers is to take what belongs to God and make it theirs. All the manifold power of God belongs to the children of God as their birthright in Christ. For all things are yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, for all things are yours. It says, Therefore, let no man glorify in men, for all things are yours. But all that belongs to believers as their birthright in Christ becomes theirs in actual possession through the Holy Spirit's work in them as individuals. I'll repeat that. But all things, all that belongs to believers as their birthright in Christ becomes theirs in actual possession through the Holy Spirit's work in them as individuals. Let's claim the Spirit. It's ours. We obtain the fullness of power that God has provided for us in Christ to the same extent that we understand and claim the Holy Spirit's work for ourselves. Many in the church claim for themselves only a small part of what God has made possible for them in Christ because they know so little of what the Holy Spirit can do and longs to do for us. But to find out what the Holy Spirit has the power to do in men we need to study the word of god i'll repeat to find out what the holy spirit has the power to do in men we need to study the word of god we will not go far before we discover that the same work that we see ascribed in one place to the power of the word is is in other places credited to the Holy Spirit. The explanation of this is simple. The Word of God is the instrument through which the Holy Spirit does His work. So if you have no Word in you, then how can He do His work? I'll repeat that. The Word of God is the instrument through which the Holy Spirit does His work. The word of God is a sword of the spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. I, I, will, I, will, I will read that for you. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. 
declares, <clears throat> and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I remember uh, a year ago, I went um, to the beauty salon and this lady looked at me and she said, oh, Sister Evans, I realize you have on, you have on the, the garment. I said, which garment? She said, I realize you have on the whole garment. I said, which garment? She said, the garment. You have on the helmet of salvation. You have the sword of the spirit. You have the word of God. And I said, really? Because I've known that woman before and her eyes wasn't open to that. But that day, that is what she said. She said, that's why I realized this is how you dress. And I realized she was speaking by the Spirit of God. And I realized how she had grown, that she was able to recognize that I was clothed in a different clothing because her eyes was now opened. The word of God is also the seed the spirit sows and quickens. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. I'll read that for you. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11 declares, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is the instrument of all the varied operations of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if we wish the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts, we must study the word. I repeat that. If we wish the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts, we must study the word. If we wish him to do his work in the hearts of others, we must give them the word. But how could we give them the word if we have not studied the word or put the word inside of us? The word will not do the work alone. <clears throat> the spirit himself must use the word because when he sees, when he uses his own sword, its real strength, keenness, and power are manifested. I'm going to say that to you again, but I remember one time I heard the Holy Spirit said, the letter puff it up. The Spirit gives life to the Word. The letter puff it up. The Word will not do the work alone. The Spirit himself must use the Word because when he uses his own sword, its real strength, keenness, and power are manifested. God's work is accomplished by the Spirit through the Word. The secret of effective Christian living is knowing the power of the Spirit through the Word. The secret of effective Christian service is using the Word in the power of the Spirit. Some believers magnify the Spirit 
but neglect the word. This will not do because fanaticism and groundless enthusiasm are the result. Others seek to magnify the word, but largely ignore the spirit. As I said, the letter puff it up, but the spirit gives life. They have to work both together. This will not do either. It leads to dead orthodoxy and to truth without life and power. The true course is to recognize both the instrumental power of the word through which the Holy Spirit works and the living personal power of the Holy Spirit who acts through the word. But let us get directly to the consideration of our subject. What does the Holy Spirit have the power to do? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3 declares, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to reveal Jesus Christ and his glory to man. When Jesus spoke of the Spirit's coming, he said, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. That's John chapter 15, verse 26. It is only by his testimony that man will ever come to a true knowledge of Christ. You can send men to the Word to get knowledge of Christ. But it is only through the Holy Spirit's illumination of the word that man can get a real living knowledge of Christ. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse three says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For men to get a true knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they will believe in him and be saved, seek the testimony of the Holy Spirit for them. Neither your testimony nor that of the word alone will suffice, though it is your testimony or that of the word that the Spirit uses. Unless your testimony is illuminated by the Holy Spirit and he himself testifies, they will not believe it was not merely Peter's words about Christ that convinced the Jews at Pentecost. It was the Spirit himself bearing witness. If you wish man to know the truth about Jesus, do not depend on your own powers of explanation and persuasion, but give yourself to the Holy Spirit and ask for his testimony. If you desire to know Jesus with a true and living knowledge, seek the witness of the Spirit through the Word. You need the Word. Many people have correct doctrinal conceptions of Christ through studying the Word long before they have true personal knowledge of Christ through the testimony of the living Spirit. And you watch, you see them preaching and teaching but you realize something is missing. They go to your theological school, 
and they get filled with the word but they've not been a lot of them have not been empowered by the holy spirit but when that happens you see a transformation the spirit also convicts sin the word declares in john chapter 16 verse 8 to 11 and when he has come he will convict the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because i go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged the holy spirit has the power to convict the world of sin this is closely connected with his power to reveal jesus for it is by showing christ's glory and his righteousness that the holy spirit convicts us of sin righteousness and judgment the holy spirit note i will repeat again the holy spirit convicts us of sin righteousness and judgment the sin of which the holy spirit convicts it says of sin because they do not believe in me that's the sin it was so at pentecost as we see in acts chapter 2 verse 36 to 37 i will find that acts acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 verse 36 to 37 declares therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? You can never convict any man of sin because that is the work of the Holy Spirit. You can reason and reason, but you will fail. The Holy Spirit, however, can do it very quickly. Have you ever had the experience of wondering why, after showing a man passage after passage of scripture, he remained unmoved? You were trying to convict the man of sin by yourself. Rather than looking in your powerlessness to the mighty spirit of God to do it. I'm gonna say this. There was a time someone brought a man here and he looked like he came straight out of the garbage. And I said to him, come inside. He said, no miss, I can't come inside your house. I realized, hey, this man was full of demons. And I said, yes, come inside. I'm inviting you to come in. He said, no ma'am, I can't come in. I held his hand and I brought him in. I said, have a seat. He said, no, man, I can't, ma'am, I can't sit there. I said, but I want you to sit there. And I ministered to that man because I didn't see, I looked beyond his fault and saw his need. I ministered to that man. And then I said to him, I said, I gave, I, I, I offered him Jesus. And then I said to him, I said, you know what I'm going to do? As soon as the Lord blesses me, I'm going to go out and buy your Bible. 
and I'm going to get it to you. After it was finished, I offered him something to drink, and then the lady took him. Well, the next day, God blessed me, and I went out and I bought the Bible. I gave it to her to give to him. Less than a year later, I'm standing in a bank with the lady. I'm sitting in the bank, and the lady is on the bank line. And she calls me. She said, Shirley, you know this man in the frontier? I said, no, I've never seen him before. She said, this is the man that you ministered and you gave the Bible to? And I was like, oh my gosh, he's transformed. So let us sow the word of God in the people's life. Let's minister and watch the Holy Spirit does the work and transform, transformation. And I went up to the man and I said, oh, look what the Lord has done. And so you'll be surprised what God is about to do with some derelict people that you call derelict. He's about to transform them by the Spirit of God. And so when you try to convict the man of sin by yourself, rather than looking in your powerlessness to the mighty Spirit of God to do it. When you let the Spirit of God do the work, conviction comes. The Spirit can convince the most indifferent person as experience has proven again and again. But it is through us that the Spirit produces conviction. In John chapter 16, verse 7 to 8, the word declares, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It was a spirit sent to Peter and the rest who convicted the 3000 on the day of Pentecost. It is ours to preach the word and to look to the Holy Spirit to produce conviction. The Spirit also renews. The word declares in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to renew men. Regeneration is his work. He can take a man dead in trespasses and sins and make him alive. He can transform the man whose mind is blind to the truth of God, whose will is at enmity with God and set, and set on sin and whose affections are corrupt and vile. He imparts God's nature to him so that he thinks God's thoughts, wills what God wills, loves what God loves, and hates what God hates. I never lose hope for a man when I remember the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. For I have seen it manifested again and again in the most hardened and hopeless cases. But it is through us that the Holy Spirit regenerates others.
the word declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. I'll find that for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15 declares, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye, ye yet have ye not many fathers. I'll reread re, re that again. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. As we learn, in, as we learn the word has the power to regenerate, but not on its own. It must be made a living thing in the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. No amount of preaching and no amount of just studying of the word will regenerate without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Just as we are utterly dependent on the work of Christ for our justification, so we are utterly dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit for regeneration. When one is born of the Spirit, the Spirit takes up his abode in us. In other words, I'll repeat again, when one is born of the Spirit, the Spirit takes up his abode in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Isn't that amazing? It dwells in you. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 declares, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? I remember my friend says, please, when she was having an operation, Tell the doctor, please, just don't take my Holy Spirit from me. Because she thought when he cut her open, he was going to find the Holy Spirit and remove it. That was just funny. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Let us remember that. I certainly should not defile it. We certainly should not defile our body as many professed Christians do, bearing in mind that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, would solve many problems that perplex young Christians. If you keep that in your mind, that what your body is, the temple of the Holy Spirit, you will not defile your body. We find a further thought about the power of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 4, verse 14, and the word declares, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You may not see at first that this verse has anything to do with the Holy Spirit. But compare it with the, with the, seventh, um, with the seventh chapter of John, verse 32. 7, John chapter 7, John chapter 
seven. I'll read that. John chapter seven, verse 37 declares, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Verse 38 says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 says, but this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, it is ev evident that the water here symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit then, has the power to give abiding and everlasting satisfaction. Of every word, of every worldly joy, it must be said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. John chapter 4 verse 13. The world can never satisfy. I'll repeat, the world can never satisfy. But the Holy Spirit has the power to satisfy every longing of the soul. The Holy Spirit and He alone can satisfy the human heart. If you give yourself up to the Holy Spirit's inflowing, or rather upspringing in your heart, you will never thirst. You will not long for worldly gain or honor. The Holy Spirit had poured the unutterable joy and indescribable satisfaction of his living water into many souls. Have you felt this living fountain within you? It is springing up without restraint into everlasting life. As sometimes I'm walking in my kitchen and I'm, I'm praising, I'm singing, I'm shouting, the word is coming. I'm just so happy most of the day. That's the Holy Spirit flowing, flowing. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, the word declares, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit has the power to set us free from the law of sin and death. What the law of sin and death is can be found in, the, in Romans chapter 7, verse 9 to 24. Take some time to read this description carefully. We all know this law of sin and death. We have all been in bondage to it. Some of us are still in bondage to it, but we do not need to be. God has provided a way of escape by the Holy Spirit's power. When we give up the hopeless struggle of trying to overcome the law of sin and death with our own strength and in utter helplessness, Surrender to the Holy Spirit to do everything for us. When we walk in his blessed power rather than in the power of the flesh, 
Then he sets us free from the law of sin and death. Many professing Christians today live as is described in Romans chapter 7. Some go so far as to maintain that the normal Christian life is a life of constant defeat. This would be true if we were left to ourselves, for in ourselves we are carnal, sold under sin. But we are not left to ourselves. The Holy Spirit undertakes for us what we fail to do ourselves. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 to 4 declares, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Take some time out to read Romans chapter 8, the entire chapter. It gives us a picture of true Christian life. This life is possible and God expects it from each one of us. The commandment comes to this life. Take some time to read Romans chapter seven, but the mighty spirit comes also working obedience and victory. The flesh is still in us, but we are not in the flesh. I will repeat, the flesh is still in us, but we are not in the flesh. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 declares, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of us. So you see, it's the Spirit is in you. I'll read verse 12 to 13. It says, Therefore, brethren, ye, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. We do not live after it. We walk according to the Spirit. By the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. We walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 declares, It is our privilege in the Spirit's power to have daily, hourly, and constant victory over the flesh and over sin. But the victory is not in ourselves, not in any strength of our own. Left to ourselves, deserted by the Spirit of God, we would be as helpless as ever. It is all in the Spirit's power. If we try to take one step in our own strength, we will fail. Like a baby just trying to walk, but it needs your hand to help it. Do not take one step 
on your own without the Spirit's power. Has the Holy Spirit set you free from the law of sin and death? Will you let him do it now? Simply give up all self-effort to stop sinning. Believe in the divine power of the Holy Spirit to set you free and give yourself to him to do it. He will not fail you. Then you can triumphantly cry with Paul, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We find a closely allied but larger thought about the Holy Spirit's power in Ephesians 3 and 16. That he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The Holy Spirit strengthens the believer with power in the inner man. The result of this strengthening is, is seen in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 to 19. And I will read that for you. I love the word. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17 to 19 declares. That, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breath and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Here the power of the Spirit manifests itself not merely in giving us victory over sin but in Christ dwelling in our hearts. Our being rooted and grounded in love and are being made able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It culminates in our being filled with all the fullness of God. We find a further thought about the Holy Spirit's power in Romans chapter 8 verse 14. The word declares, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The Holy Spirit has the power to lead us into holy life, a life as sons of God, a God-like life. Not only does the Holy Spirit give us the power to live a holy life that is pleasing to God, he takes us by the hand and leads us into that life. All we must do is simply surrender ourselves completely to his leading and molding. Those who do this are not merely God's offspring, which all men are, according to Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Neither are they merely God's children. These are sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Holy Spirit bears witness with the spirit of the believer that he is a child of God. Paul did not say that the Spirit bears witness to our spirit, but with it, with our spirit, is the exact force of the words used. In other words, there are two who bear witness to our sonship. Our spirits 
and the Holy Spirit bear witness together that we are children of God. How does the Holy Spirit bear his testimony to this fact? The word declares in Galatians chapter 4 verse 6, because ye are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit himself enters our hearts and cries, Abba, Father. Let's look at his work in Romans chapter 8, verse 2 to 4 and verse 13 to 14. He bears witness in us, in verse 16, only when the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Only when we, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, and when we are surrendered to the Spirit's leading, can we expect to experience the promise in verse 16, and have the clear assurance that comes from the Spirit of God, testifying together with our spirits that we are children of God. Many believers expect this witness of the Holy Spirit to precede their surrendering holy to God, and they're confessing Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, which is incorrect. The testimony of the Holy Spirit to our sonship comes only after all this is done. An exceedingly important thought about the Holy Spirit's power is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The Holy Spirit brings forth Christ-like graces of character in the believer. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says, Romans chapter 14, verse 17 declares, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and listen, one time I went to a church, a big church. And when I got in there, the Holy Spirit, I say, you have a word for the church. At that time, there's nothing in me. I hear no word inside of me, but the worship was high worship. And all of a sudden, my legs felt like someone tied it up, and my heart felt like it, a brick was on my heart because I was fearful. And I didn't hear no word. And, and the pastor was preaching, and the pastor said, someone here have a word from the Lord. And, and several people ran out, and they just talked nonsense. And God said, see, they're talking nonsense. I did not send them out there. And so all of a sudden, the pastor said, I'm not going to stop until the person come up with the word because that is not it. Finally, whatever rope loose from off my leg and I was out there with my Bible with no word, still fearful. By the time I got in the front of that, that, that altar, 
the word of the fair went and the word of God came and the word of God was the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the preacher who was supposed to come on that morning, he said, miss, don't turn away. Listen, whenever God tell you to go somewhere, he will give you the word and you speak what he says. He said, because that's my message this morning. I want us to know that Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. All real beauty of character, all real Christ-likeness in us is the Holy Spirit's work. It is, it is his fruit. He bears it, not we. Note that these graces are not said to be the fruits of the Spirit. They are the fruit. All the various manifestations of the Holy Spirit have the same origin. Therefore, not just some of them, but all will appear in everyone in whom the Holy Spirit is given full control. It is a beautiful life that is set forth in these verses. Every word is worthy of earnest study and profound meditation. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Oh, nobody wants that long-suffering, but you must have it. That's one of it. it you must have it long suffering and he will give you grace while you're going through the long suffering long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control the christ life is the life we long for you know we sing longing longing for jesus i have a longing in my heart for you just to be near you to feel your presence i have a longing in my heart for you the christ life is the life we long for it is not natural to us and it is not attainable by any effort of the flesh the life that is natural for us is described in three preceding verses, verse 19 to 21. But when we give the indwelling spirit full control, realizing the evilness of the flesh and giving up ever attaining anything good in its power, when we come to the end of self, then these holy graces of character become his fruit in us. If you desire these graces in your character and in your life renounce yourself and all your attempts at holiness then let the holy spirit who dwells in you take full control full control welcome holy spirit come and take full control let the holy spirit who dwells in you take full control and bear his own glorious fruit Life in the reality expressed from another point of view in Galatians 2 and 20. And the word declares, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
realize from the start that the flesh can never bear the fruit of the spirit that you can never attain these things on your own those who study ethical philosophy would like us to believe that the flesh can be cultivated until it bears this fruit but it cannot be done until thorns can be made to bear figs and a bramble bush bears grapes luke chapter 6 verse 44 declares luke 6 44 declares It says, for every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather their grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Isn't that amazing? For out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaketh. And Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 says, Matthew 12, verse 33 declares, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. Others talk about character building. Nothing is essentially wrong with this. But if you let the Holy Spirit do it, that is do the building. It becomes not so much building as fruit bearing. There is also a good deal said about cultivating graces of character. But we must always bear in mind that the way to cultivate the true graces of character is by submitting ourselves entirely to the spirit. This is sanctification of the spirit. We turn now to other, another aspect of the power of the Holy Spirit. The word declares in John chapter 16 verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit has the power to guide the believer into all truth. This promise was orig originally made to the apostles, but the apostles themselves applied it to all believers. It is the privilege of each of us to be taught by God. John chapter 6 verse 45 declares John 6 verse 45 declares it is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God every man therefore that had heard and hath learned of the father cometh unto me and so being taught by God.
he teaches he teaches i repeat he teaches each believer is independent of human teachers i repeat that each believer is independent of human teachers you do not need that anyone teach you man i so many times people tell me you need to go to the theological school you need to sit sit under a teacher and i was running from church to church believing that that was true but this is the way god called me yes we need teachers okay but he called me to sit under the school of the holy spirit teaching me all things i'm not saying that you, you should not go and sit under a teacher. Yes, we need teachers. But this is the way he pulled me out. To sit under his teaching. It is the privilege of each of us to be taught by God. Each believer is independent of human teachers. You do not need that anyone teach you. First John 2.27, it says, First John 2 and 27 declares, But the anointing which ye have received of him abided in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you, of all things and is truth and is no lie and even as it hath taught you ye shall abide in him this does not mean of course that we may not learn much from others who are themselves taught by the holy spirit if john had thought that he never would have written this epistle to teach others the man who can be most fully taught by God is the one who is most ready to listen to what God has taught others. I heard a saying, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. The man who can be most fully taught by God is the one who is most ready to listen to what God has taught others. This does not mean that when we are taught by God, we are independent of the word of God. The word is the very place to which the spirit leads his pupils and the instrument through which he teaches them. About five months ago, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and says, you've been, you've been to kindergarten, you've been to primary, you've been to um, junior school, senior school, college now i'm taking you at university level each each school has a different teacher the primary school has a primary teacher as your mind expands you end up in the junior as your mind expands you go to the senior and your mind expands you go to the college and the expanding more of your mind you are at university and so he's been telling me this five months ago 
So here I am in the University of the Holy Spirit. The Word is the very place to which the Spirit leads His peoples. And the instrument through which He teaches them, John chapter 6 verse 33 declares, John 6 and 33 declares, It says, ye, that's not it, 6 and 33 declares, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. But we should not be dependent on men, even though we can learn much from them. We have a divine teacher. I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 19. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 19 declares. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord but we should not be dependent on men even though we can learn much from them we have a divine teacher the holy spirit he will never, he will never truly know the truth. He, you, me, we will never truly know the truth until we are taught by him, the Holy Spirit. No amount of mere human teaching, no matter who our teachers may be, will give us a correct understanding of the truth. Not even a diligent study of the word either in English or in the original languages will give us a real understanding of the truth. We must be taught by the Holy Spirit. The one who is thus taught, even if he does not know a word of Greek or Hebrew, will understand the truth of God better than someone who does know the original languages, but who is not taught by the Spirit. The Spirit will guide the one he teaches into all truth. Not in a day, a week, or a year, but one step at a time. I remember the Holy Spirit said, I will teach you line upon line, precepts upon precepts, here a little, there a little. There are two especially important aspects of the Spirit's teaching. He will tell you things to come. That's John chapter 16, verse 13. Many say we can know nothing about the future, that all our thoughts on that subject are nothing but guesswork. Anyone taught by the Spirit knows better than that. Second, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's special area of instruction with the believer as well as the unbeliever is to reveal Christ and glorify Him. 
Many fear to emphasize this truth about the Holy Spirit because it might overshadow Christ. Actually, though, no one magnifies Christ as the Holy Spirit does. We will never understand Christ nor see his glory until the Holy Spirit reveals him to us. Merely listening to sermons and lectures, even studying the word will never present Christ as the Holy Spirit can. And he is longing to do so. So let the Holy Spirit do his glorious work in you. Christ is so different when the Holy Spirit magnifies him by taking the things of Christ and showing them to us. John chapter 16 verse 15 says, John chapter 15, verse, John chapter 15 verse 16 says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the father in my name he may give you and so we need the holy spirit we need him Christ will be so different when the Holy Spirit magnifies him by taking the things of Christ and showing them to us. John chapter 14 verse 26 declares, we find the Holy Spirit's teaching and power with an added thought, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit has the power to bring to our remembrance the words of Christ. You know, you're speaking to someone and all of a sudden the scripture comes up. This promise was made primarily to the apostles. And it guarantees the accuracy of their report of what Jesus said. But the Holy Spirit works similarly in each believer who expects it of him and looks to him to do it. He brings to mind the teachings and the words of Christ just when we need them. For either the necessities of our own life or our Christian service. How often have we been distressed about something or lost as to what to say to someone we wanted to help. Just then, the scripture we needed, probably some passage we had not thought of for a long time, perhaps never thought of in this connection, was brought to mind. It was the Holy Spirit who did this, and he is ready to do it even more when we expect it of him, but we have to put the word in us. It is not without significance that in the next verse, after making this great promise, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That's John chapter 14, verse 27. 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give unto you, not as the world gave it, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Look to the Holy Spirit to bring the right words to remembrance at the right time, and you will have peace. This is the way to remember scripture just when you need it and just the scripture you need. The Holy Spirit also reveals mysteries. Closely related to what has been said, the power of the Holy Spirit will reveal mysteries. The scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is 10 to 14 declares, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In these verses, we see a twofold work of the Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the deep things of God that are hidden from and foolishness to the natural man. It is preeminently to the apostles the Spirit did this, but his work is not limited to them. Second, the Holy Spirit interprets his own revelation or imparts power to discern, to know and appreciate what he has taught. Not only is the Holy Spirit the author of revelation, that is the written word of God, he is also the interpreter of what he has revealed. How much more interesting and useful any profound book comes becomes when we have the author of the book right at hand to interpret it for us. This is what we may always have when we study the Bible. The songwriter says, Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 and you'll grow, 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 and you'll grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Not only is the Holy Spirit the author of Revelation, the written word of God. He is also the interpreter of what he has revealed. How much more interesting and useful any profound book becomes when we have the order of the book right at hand to interpret it for us. This is what we may always have when we study the Bible. The author, the Holy Spirit is right at hand to interpret. To understand the Bible, we must look to him. Then, even the darkest places become clear. 
this is this is in first Corinthians chapter 13 it says now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now we know in part but when that is purpose come and so here it is we need to pray often with the psalmist open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law as quoted in Psalm 119 verse 18 it is not enough for us to have the objective revelation of the written word we must also have the inward illumination of the Holy Spirit to enable us to comprehend it. Trying to comprehend a spiritual revelation with the natural understanding is a great mistake. Consider man who has no sense of, no sense expecting to appreciate a fine painting simply because he is not colorblind. It would be the same for a man who has not filled with the spirit to try to understand the Bible simply because he understood the grammar and the vocabulary of the language in which the Bible was written. I want to say this. When I look at Daniel and the handwriting on the wall, no one else could interpret it. And I remember one day I said, Lord, how come no one else could interpret that? And he said to me, this was in my young walk with God. He said, I'm going to give you hieroglyphics. At the time, I don't even know how to spell the word hieroglyphics, so I couldn't find it. So I called somebody. I said, have you ever heard this word hieroglyphics? I said, how do you spell it? Yes. He said, I'm going to give you hieroglyphics. I can look at a painting and I can read a whole chapter of that painting. So that's a gift from God. I would no more think of allowing a man to teach art, merely because he understood paints, than of allowing him to teach the Bible merely because he understood Greek or Hebrew. I'll repeat that. I would no more think of allowing a man to teach art merely because he understood paints, than of allowing him to teach the Bible merely because he understood Greek or Hebrew. Not only must we recognize the utter insufficiency and worthlessness of our own righteousness, but also the utter insufficiency of worthlessness of our own wisdom in comprehending the things of God. The lesson of the first epistle to the Corinthians. The Jews had a revelation from the Spirit but they failed to depend on him to interpret it for them. So they went astray. The whole evangelical church realizes the utter insufficiency of man's righteousness. Theor theoretically, at least. Now it needs to be taught and made to feel the utter insufficiency of man's wisdom. That is perhaps the lesson this century of arrogant intellectual conceit needs more than any other. To understand God's word, we must totally disregard our own wisdom and rest in utter dependence on the Spirit of God to interpret it for us. You know, it was the Spirit of God who interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream because he couldn't remember his dream. So God had given Daniel that gift I've had people come here to me 
I said, oh, surely I had a dream, but I can't remember it. And then the first time that happened to me, all of a sudden God gave me the dream and interpretation. And I was like, oh, how did that happen? God said, I put that gift that is in Daniel in you. Only we, to understand God's word, we must totally disregard our own wisdom and rest in utter dependence on the spirit of God to interpret it for us. Only when we put away our own righteousness, we will find the righteousness of God. Only when we put away our own wisdom, will we find the wisdom of God. And only when we put away our own strength, we'll find the strength of God. Emptying must proceed filling. Self must be poured out so that Christ may be poured in. We must be taught daily by the Holy Spirit to understand the word of God. I cannot depend today on the fact that the Spirit taught me yesterday. Each new contact with the word must be in the power of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit once illuminated our minds to grasp a certain passage is not enough. He must do so each time we confront that passage. Each time you come to the word in study, in hearing a sermon or reading a religious book, there should be a definite act of self-relinquishment, denying your own wisdom and yielding yourself in faith to the divine teacher. The Spirit also helps us to communicate. The Holy Spirit not only has the power to teach us the truth, but he also helps us communicate that truth to others. We see this brought out again and again. And the scripture declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the, the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, and I read it, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And the word declares in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to communicate powerfully to others the truth he himself has been taught we not only need the holy spirit to reveal and then to interpret the truth he has revealed we also need him to enable us to effectively communicate that truth to others we need him every step of the way one great cause of real failure in the ministry even when there is apparent success not only in the ministry, but in all forms of Christian service, is the attempt to teach what the Holy Spirit has taught us 
by persuasive words of human wisdom, human logic, rhetoric, or eloquence. What is needed is Holy Spirit power, a demonstration of the spirit of power. There are three causes of failure in Christian work. First, a message other than the message that the Holy Spirit has revealed in the Word of God. You can preach and you could teach, but if it's not in the Word of God, well, that's a failure. Man will preach science, art, philosophy, sociology, history, experience, and on and on, but not the Word of God as found in the Holy Spirit's book. The Bible. Second, the Spirit's message, the Bible, is studied without the Spirit's illumination. Third, the Bible is taught to others with persuasive words of human wisdom and not in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I believe God is getting ready to transform some ministers when they stand up to teach or to preach. He's going to, by the Holy Spirit, is going to transform them. We must be absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit when it comes to the Word of God. We must, he must teach us how to speak as well as what to speak. His, his must be the power as well as the message. The Spirit of God teaches us to pray. The Holy Spirit has the power to teach us how to pray. In Jude chapter 20, and the word declares, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And again in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 it says, Praying always in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides the believer in prayer. The disciples did not know how to pray as they should. So they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. But we have another helper right at hand to help us. The Spirit also helps our weaknesses. He teaches us to pray. True prayer True prayer is prayer in the Spirit. The prayer that the Spirit inspires and directs. When we come into God's presence to pray, we should recognize our ignorance of what we should pray for or how we should pray. With this awareness, we should then look to the Holy Spirit and cast ourselves utterly on Him to direct our prayers. Rushing heedlessly into God's presence and asking the first thing that comes to our minds or what someone asks us to pray for is not praying in the spirit and it's not true prayer. I've had situations where I've get called from overseas and, and, and it was, could you pray to God? and give us an answer back 
but they did not say what to pray for. And so I, okay, give me your number. I'll call you back. So what I did is sit. I said, Lord, they didn't ask me what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit knew what was going on. So what he did, he gave me the answer that they needed. And that's amazing because the Spirit knows. Rushing heedlessly into God's presence and asking the first thing that comes to mind on what someone asks us to pray for is not praying in the Spirit and it's not true prayer. We must wait for and surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The prayer that the Holy Spirit inspires is the prayer that God the Father answers. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27. Romans 8, verse 26 to 27 declares, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what's the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We learn that the longings of the Holy Spirit creates in our hearts are often too deep for utterance, too deep, apparently, for clear and definite comprehension on the part of the believer himself, in whom the Holy Spirit is working. God himself must search the heart to know what the mind of the Spirit is. In these unuttered and unutterable longings, but God does know what the mind of the Spirit is. He does know what those Spirit-given longings mean, even if we do not. These longings are according to the will of God, and He grants them. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Oftentimes, the Spirit's Leadings in prayer are so plain that we pray with the Spirit and with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. And so, we are to pray with the Spirit and with the understanding. The Holy Spirit also has the power to lead our hearts in acceptable thanksgiving to God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does the Spirit teach us to pray, He also teaches us to give thanks. One of the most prominent characteristics of the Spirit-filled life is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. 
true thanksgiving is to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to inspire worship that is acceptable to God in the heart of the believer. I need to repeat that. The Holy Spirit has the power to inspire worship that is acceptable to God in the heart of the believer. Philippians 3 and 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Prayer is not worship. Thanksgiving is not worship. Worship is a definite act of the believer in relation to God. Worship is bowing before God in adoring acknowledgement and contemplation of him. Someone has said, in our prayers, we are taken up with our needs. In our thanksgivings, we are taken up with our blessings. And in our worship, we are taken up with himself. There is no true and acceptable worship except what the Holy Spirit inspires and guides. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. John chapter 4, verse 23. The flesh seeks to enter every sphere of life. It has its worship as well as its lust. The worship that the flesh prompts is an abomination to God. Not all earnest and honest worship is worship in the spirit. Philippians 3 and 3. A person's worship may be very honest and earnest. Still, it may not be led by the Holy Spirit. So it remains in the flesh. Even where there is great loyalty to the letter of the word, worship may not be in the spirit. To worship properly, we must have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3 and 3. We must recognize the utter inability of the flesh, that is the natural self, as contrasted with the divine spirit who dwells in and molds the believer to worship acceptably. We must also realize the danger of the flesh, self intruding into our worship. In complete self-distrust and self-denial, we must ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to worship correctly, just as we must renounce our self-worth and look to the crucified Christ for justification. We must renounce our self-righteousness and give ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit for his guidance in praying, giving thanks, worshiping, living, and in every else that we do. The Holy Spirit also calls us to the ministry. Let us consider the Holy Spirit's power as a guide. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2 to 4, and the word declares, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. 
People are called and sent forth by the Holy Spirit to particular types of work. He not only calls in a general way into Christian work, but also selects the specific work and points it out. Should I go to China, to Africa, or to India? A believer might ask. You cannot ask that question of, for yourself, and no one else can answer it for you. Besides, not every Christian is called to China or Africa or any other foreign field. God alone knows whether he wishes you to go to any of these places, and he is willing to show you. How does the Holy Spirit call? It is presumably intentionally silent on this point. to prevent our thinking that he must always call in precisely the same way. Nothing indicates that he spoke in an audible voice, much less that he made his will known in any of the fantastic ways in which some profess to discern his leading, as by opening the Bible at random. A lot of people open the Bible at random and speak and say the holy spirit said that no 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 no. so they open it at random no you have to be led by the spirit of god but the important point is that he made his will clearly known he is as willing to make his will clearly known to us today the great need in present day christian work is men and women whom the Holy Spirit calls and sends forth. We have plenty of people whom men have called and sent forth, and we have far too many who have called themselves. How do we receive the Holy Spirit's call? By desiring it, seeking it, waiting on the Lord for it, and expecting it as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the word declares. Many Christians say they have never been called by the Spirit. How do they know that? Have they been listening for it? God often speaks in a still, small voice, which only the attentive ear can perceive. Have you definitely offered yourself to God to be used by Him? While no one should go to China or Africa unless He is clearly called, he should definitely offer himself to God to be used somehow by him. He should then be ready for a call and listen carefully so that he hears it when it comes. Well, I was asleep yesterday about, I don't know, maybe two o'clock. I'm not sure what time. I was asleep because I was tired. But in my sleep, I heard a call. And next thing I know, my phone rang and I jumped up and sure enough, there was a call at the gate. And I tell you, my spiritual mom and dad, Mother Wilson and Bishop Wilson, turned up to my gate with 24 dinner rolls. Awesome. Awesome. Straight out of the baker. Awesome. Thank God.
we spoke the other day about the bread of life. Well, the natural bread came to me. Thank God. The Spirit also guides us. In, in these verses, we learn something further about the Holy Spirit's power to guide. Acts chapter 8, 27 and 29. The word declares, So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And in Acts chapter 16, verse six to seven, we read, now when he had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Messiah, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. The Holy Spirit guides us in our daily life and service, showing us where to go and where not to go, what to do and what not to do. It is possible for us to have the unerring guidance of the Holy Spirit at every turn in our lives. For example, God does not expect an evangelist to speak to every person he meets. There are some to whom we should not speak. Time spent on them could be time taken from work that would be more to the glory of God. Doubtless, Philip had met many people as he journeyed into Gaza before he met the one of whom the Spirit said, Go near and overtake this chariot. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is ready to guide us in our personal work. He is also ready to guide us in all of our affairs, business, school, social work, and everything. We can have God's wisdom if we desire it. There is no promise more simple and ex explicit than in James chapter 1, verse 5, and I read it. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He gives us wisdom. How do we gain this wisdom? James chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. I will read that for you. James chapter 1. Verse 5 to 7, it says, Five to seven, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraid it not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so, the five steps 
we must be conscious of and fully admit our own inability to decide wisely. Not only the sinfulness, but the wisdom of the flesh must be renounced. We must sincerely desire to know God's way and be willing to do God's will. This is a point of fundamental importance. Here we find the reason why many believers do not know God's will and do not have the Spirit's guidance. They are simply not willing to do whatever the Spirit leads them to do. It is the humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Psalm 29 verse 9 declares, The Christian who wants to do his will is the Christian who shall know. John 7 and 17. We must definitely ask for guidance. We must confidently expect guidance. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. We must follow step by step as the guidance comes, just how it will. No one can tell, but it will come. It may come with only one step made clear at a time, but that is all we really need to know. Too many believers remain in darkness because they do not know what God wants them to do next week, next month, or next year. To know just the next step is enough. Take it, and then he will show you the next. Numbers chapter 9, verse 17 to 23. Take a time to read that. God's guidance is clear guidance. John chapter 1, verse 5. John chapter 1, verse 5 says, And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You may, at some point, believe the Spirit is leading you to do a particular thing, but you are not certain. As God's child, you have a right to be sure. Go to him and say, Heavenly Father, please let me know if this is your will, and I will gladly do it. He will answer you, and you should do nothing until he answers you. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So you wait for his answer, and he will. However, we have no right to dictate to God how we should give his guidance to us. Although we may, we may ask for and expect wisdom, we may not dictate how it is given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 11, and I'll read that. 1 Corinthians 12 and 11 declares, but all these wicked, that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man. No, I am not reading it right. That's, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 11. But all these wicked, that one and the self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. There is one more dimension to the Holy Spirit's power. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 declares, And when they had prayed, 
the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit has the power to give us boldness in our testimony for Christ. Many people are naturally shy. There was a time I was very shy. He gave me boldness. They long to do something for Christ, but they are afraid. The Holy Spirit can make you bold if you will look to him and trust him to do it. It was he who turned the cowardly Peter into the one who fearlessly faced the Sanhedrin and rebuked their sin. Acts chapter 4 verse 8 to 12. Two things stand out in what has been said about the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer. First, we are utterly dependent on him in every aspect of Christian life and service. Second, because of the Holy Spirit's work, God's provision for that life and service is a fullness of privilege that is open to even the humblest believer. It is not of much importance that we are by nature, either intellectually, morally, spiritually, or even physically. What matters is what the Holy Spirit can do for us and what we will let him do. The Holy Spirit often takes the one who seems the least promising and uses him far more than those who seem the most promising. Christian life is not to be lived in the realm of natural temperament, but in the realm of the spirit. And Christian work is not to be done in the power of natural endowment, but in the power of the spirit. The Holy Spirit eagerly desires to do his whole work for each of us. He will do for us everything we will let him do. Now, you have to be yielded to him. And yieldedness to him works against the flesh. Because here this morning, this word, this teaching, this morning, is much longer than any teaching I've ever done. But when you yield it, totally to the Holy Spirit. We will let him have his way. So Father, in the name of Jesus, help me to continue to be totally yielded, submissive to you. Help me, help us to walk by your spirit and not by the flesh. So today we thank you for your word which is the word of God. We thank you for teaching us the power of the Holy Spirit. And may his grace and his mercy overshadow us. And may he continue to purify our hearts. Let it be as gold, pure gold. Purify my heart let it be as gold pure gold refine as fire 
My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, dear master. It's a choice. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, dear master ready to do your will. And this morning, it was his will to get this timely message to you, letting you know, let the power of the Holy Spirit work in you. And may he continue to bless you and keep you safe this day and every day. And we give him glory and all praise belong to you today in Jesus' name. I love you and have a blessed day today. Amen and amen.